Good morning. Glad you're here. Um, pray you have a have had a good week, and that uh, that the Lord has has been speaking to your hearts. Uh, I, I hope that as a church we are putting into practice some of the things we've been hearing as far as uh, spending time in the Word of God and our, our minds being renewed through His truth and us beginning to see God more clearly and understanding what He's done for us and who we've become in Christ and that that love that we see in, in Him would compel us uh, to carry His mission forward. I, I hope for each of us that's becoming more real in our lives. Um, and today we're going to continue uh, looking at some different ways that we grow. I've been going through Ephesians 4, and we're actually um, probably going to continue doing that some. I want to refer back to it this morning just to kind of catch us up with where we've been. Um, before we get into the Word, though, I do want to make mention that um, tonight, and I know this has been announced, it's been sent out and different things, but tonight we won't have the prayer and worship time we're going to start doing that on the last Sunday of each month. We're going to begin doing that. I'm, my plan and, and what I've been praying through is to begin to use some of the other Sunday nights uh, for more equipping type meetings where we can begin to meet, uh, be more equipped uh, to do what Ephesians 4 is teaching us, that we would uh, be equipping the, the body, that we'd be equipping the believers, the saints, God's people for the works of ministry. So I did want to make mention of that. Um, we've been looking at Ephesians 4 and, and seeing how um, God's plan and purpose for the church is fulfilled when uh, Jesus appoints leadership in the church to equip the body, the people of God, to do the work of ministry. And we've been looking at that. Um, and specifically the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at how do we grow? How do we grow into the maturity um, no longer being infants, but growing into maturity as a body, as God's church, as the people of God. How do we grow into maturity? And um, we look first at the Word of God, that we need to be spending time in God's truth. We re read some of that together, realizing, hopefully, that it's not as hard to understand as sometimes we make it. And even when we do come to things that are hard to understand, um, we, we don't have to stop there. We can keep going. We can stop and study it. We can, as I said, kind of put it on a shelf. Let's come back to this later. But we don't want to stop. We want to continue reading. And we looked last week at how when we are in God's Word, the Word of God, His truth, begins to renew our minds. When God's Word is our ultimate and final authority, that the voice of God through His truth begins to speak louder than the voices around us. And, and we're able to then begin to see not only who God is and who we are and who we become in Christ and our purpose, but we're, we're, we begin to tear down those inaccurate ways of thinking that exist in all of our minds so that we can see God clearly, understand our purpose clearly, see the world around us clearly. Um, and so that is so important. Today, I want us to jump from there and, and kind of continue this thought of a renewed mind um, and we're going to look at something that we hear a lot if you've been around church, but I don't know that we fully understand what it means, mostly because of the context we've heard it used in. Um, today, what I want to talk to you about is repentance and what that looks like, what that means. Um, the connotation of repentance is such that for most of you who've been around church for very long, you hear that word and you kind of go, ugh, right, because of kind of how we've heard it. 
um, in the past and what that word means to us. We kind of feel like we need to pull our feet in under us um, before somebody gets on our toes and tells us, yells at us, tells us to quit sinning and those kind of things. And, and so um, we're going to talk about this word, though, and I specifically want us to look at it and what it really is and what it really means, what prompts it. And, and, and I want us to see how, as the church, we need to come to this place of repentance. Um, and I hope that today it'll be encouraging to you, that it won't be something that we feel we got beat up over but that we go, yeah, this is good. This is a good and healthy thing. And this is something that's necessary for us to grow as the body and to grow as God's church. Um, and so I want to read, first of all, we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Um, this is a, a passage of scripture that I'm about to read that is, man, it is one of the most beloved parables or stories that Jesus told. Um, and, and I want us to look at this, and, and some of it we'll be looking at it in kind of the traditional way we've heard it taught, but there's something else in here that I really want us to see today that is not typical or are not typically talked about when this, this passage is preached. And yet here's the thing, guys, it's not the, the go-to point out of this passage, but I believe it's the main point out of this passage, which is kind of crazy. Um, there's a lot we can draw from this text uh, that we're about to read, but I want us to really see the main point that Jesus is making as he tells this story. Um, it's important that we see the context of this, as we've talked about in reading scripture before, that we understand not just the verses we read, but what's around it, who it's said to, why it's being said. I, I want you to notice that as we look at Luke uh, chapter 14, there's a lot of talk about um, fellowship around the table. We, we see where Jesus is um, at a Pharisee's house. There's fellowship there taking place in this home. We see this parable of the great banquet and talking about who will be there. We, so there's this, this talk of fellowship, even table um, fellowship in different ways that is mentioned in 14. If you go over to Luke chapter 16, um, you'll find again that uh, there is talk about fellowship and how we um, accept things and, and how we accept people and how we respond to people and that kind of thing. And so we need to see this and understand that the context in large part is fellowship um, with one another and how we express that fellowship. And so um, think about that as we're reading this and as we're looking at this text, it, it tells us quickly in Luke 15 who this is written to. It says in Luke 15, 1, this is not going to be on the screen. Um, there's just tons of scripture we're going to look at today, and so it's not going to be up there. I do want to encourage you, bring your Bible. Um, I know a lot of you read it on your phone. That's fine, too. Bring, bring God's Word with you some way. We're, we're going to be in it every week, and so um, bring it with you. It's good to have it. It's good, especially if you um, carry a Bible or have one at home that you can um, read along with it and begin to see it on the page and even make notes um, about it and, and begin to, to embrace and, and dive in and, and desire to hold God's word in your hand. We don't in America understand what a privilege that is. We don't understand how many people around the world would give everything they have to hold this. And that, and that may seem you know, like a church thing to say, but it's the truth. 
that people don't get to hold this in their hands. I encourage you to bring it with you on Sunday mornings. So Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. So, so these sinners, these tax collectors, the least of these, the lowest of the low, they're gathering around Jesus as he's teaching, and they're, they're wanting to hear him. And listen to this, but the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the, the religious leaders or part of the religious leaders of that day, and the teachers of the law, another portion of, of these leaders, uh, they muttered. So they're kind of grumbling under their breath. They're kind of grumbling, you know, that kind of thing. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I want to stop right there and say the next few verses, and there's two, two short parables or stories that Jesus tells. Both of these parables deal with lost things. One deals with a lost sheep. You've heard this probably referenced many times that you know, Jesus teaches to leave the 99 to go after the one to find this lost sheep, and then there's a celebration. Um, so we see this lost thing found in the sheep. The second one is a parable of the lost coin. This woman loses uh, one of her coins, and so um, she searches the house, and she finds this coin, something else that was lost. It's now found, and there's a celebration that takes place, all right? Um, then we get to verse 11, and Jesus tells a story about what we've come to know as the prodigal son, um, and then we focus a lot on the prodigal. We focus a lot on this wayward son uh, because the love we see in it, the acceptance we see in it, it really appeals to us. It's something that is good and shows us God's heart for those who are wayward, who, who are far from him. And so we want to read this. I do want to again stress the context that we see this in. Remember in verses 1 and 2 that Jesus has, has welcomed these sinners and tax collectors. Verse 2 tells us that these Pharisees and tax collectors do not like it. And so Jesus begins to tell these stories about what has been lost and what has been found. And so now we're going to read and talk through this parable. Luke, 11, Luke 15, 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So he simply goes and says, I want my inheritance now. There's a lot of history and background to that we won't get into. But he says, I, I want my inheritance now. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So here is a Jewish boy. You've heard me say this before in reference to this parable. A Jewish boy, pigs are unclean. He's to such a low place. Now, probably having forgotten his identity pretty much as a Jew, um, that he's in such a low place, he is willing not only to be and mingle amongst the pigs, but he is longing to eat the pig food. He's at an all-time low. When he came to his senses, this is one of my favorite verses in Scripture, verse 17. When he came to his senses, in other words, he came, he, his eyes were, he had this moment of revelation, of realization. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. We have to understand, first and foremost, our sin is against God. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. 
So he's now come to his senses. He's had a change of mind. He's turned and now he's going back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And so we see again this lost thing found. But this parable goes on. And we hear oftentimes, and we see in this parable very clearly when this is read and taught, the love of God that welcomes home those who are wayward, who are far from him, who've turned their backs to him, and yet have now come to their senses and realized the love of God, and so they return. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. We oftentimes hear talk of the older son, that many of us, we are told in church or like the older son, not embracing and fully enjoying the presence of God and our fellowship with him. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was, has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet when you, you never gave me even a young goat, in other words, you didn't, certainly didn't give me the fat and calf, you didn't even give me a goat. So I can celebrate with my friends, but when this son of yours who has, has squandered your property and prost, with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fat and calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But you ha we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I want us to pray and then we're going to jump in. Lord, I thank you for your word and your truth. God, today I, I pray that our minds would be renewed more. That your truth would sink deeply into our hearts and set our minds free from the things that we've always known or thought that may be inaccurate. God, help me to see you clearly and understand your purposes and what you've done in an even greater way. Help us all, Lord. God, open the eyes of our understanding that we can begin to grasp even more the heights and depth and width of your love for us, Lord. Father, we thank you for who you are, what you've done. God, we know who we are, but we know who we've become in Christ. And today, God, we celebrate that. Help us to celebrate the others, God, who are far from you and yet turn back to you. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, I'm sure many of you and probably all of us have experienced some time in our life when our minds were changed. And, and uh, one of the things that I think about a lot and I'm guilty of is, um, have, how many of you would be honest enough to admit this? Like sometimes you see somebody, you may not have even had an in-depth conversation about them, but you just see them and, and you kind of watch them and, and, and you don't really even know them, but you kind of form an opinion about them that's probably negative. Anybody else ever done that? Come on, be honest. I know I have. I, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. For, for some of you, I'm that person, right? <laughs> but then you kind of get to know this person, and, and you, you, you meet them and talk to them, and 
all of a sudden you feel guilty because you're like, man, they're a great person. They're really nice. And, and you feel like, wow, I really missed it. And your mind changes about them. You, you begin to see them differently. You begin to think differently about them. Or maybe you even become friends with them. You didn't realize who they were or what they're about um, for all this time. And from a distance, you kind of judge them. I, I feel like that's how the church is a lot with God. I feel like in many ways, we've kind of seen God from a distance. We kind of watch God's people even, and we kind of form these opinions about God. The thing I want to talk to you today about is the necessity for us to, as the church, to begin to see God differently, to have a mindset shift, a paradigm shift, uh, um, that our minds um, are being renewed. And when our minds are renewed, it brings us to this church word we've, we've heard a lot, um, probably seen it on a sign, repent, you know, or burn in hell, those kind of things. But it brings us to this church word um, called repentance or repent. And, and it's an important word, but it literally means to change, have a change of mind. It literally means to change your mind. Um, and so when we look at this, it's why um, Luke 15, 17 is one of my favorite verses. I see it so clearly as this moment of mind change for this prodigal son who's wandered off and squandered all of this stuff. He has this mind change. He realizes my ways have led to destruction. My ways are not good, uh, but I have a father who loves me or, and, and who, who if I can just go back to him and I can just, even if he just makes me a servant, it'll be so much better. And he has this moment where he says, I'm not going to continue to make my life this way and continue in life this way. I'm going to turn and I'm going to go back to my father and just tell him, I know I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Which See, that's the way sin works. The first sin is against God. Sin always begins with a sinning against him, but then it's a sin against someone else as well. He said, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And he says, I'm just going to ask to be a servant. He's got more bread. He's got more provision. He's got more um, life-giving ability than I have in my own and in the, the, the life that I've created and the life that I can possibly shape for myself. I'm just going to return to my father. And we see this mind shift, this change of mind. And as I said earlier, typically when this parable is taught, we look at it and, and that's the focus that we put it on. We, we put it on people who are far from God and we, we use this text to show God's heart for those who are wayward and it's a call for people to come home. And that is absolutely true that we see God's heart, heart for those who are far away so clearly. When we look at verse one, we can even take these tax collectors and sinners that Jesus is meeting with and we can really see them as the prodigals. They had wandered far away from God. They're the worst of the worst in the eyes of the religious. And yet, and yet Jesus is saying, look, the fact that I'm sitting with them, the fact that they're turning, the fact that they're having a mind change about God, that they're having this change of mind and they're turning back to God. This is not something to be angry over. This is something to celebrate. But in the church for so long, We've created an environment and a mindset that people from the outside look at us and whether it's our heart or not, they judge our heart by the way we live and the way we act and the way we talk. And they look and they go, you know what? I don't think I'm really welcome there. I don't think there's much need for me even going around them because what I realize is they don't really want me there. There's been this mindset of that. 
And we see this, that the wayward have kind of gotten the clear message that unless you've got your stuff together on the outside, don't come in here. You're not welcome. And so we need to see God's heart in this one. One, if you're far from God, he welcomes you home. He will meet you. He'll come to you. He'll embrace you as you turn when you come to your senses and realize, I don't need to live this way. I want to return to the Father or I want to come to the Father for the first time. You're not so far away from God that God's arm is too short to save you. But there's another aspect of this that's happening. The elder son, the older son is there and he's offended basically that this prodigal son, this wayward son has been given the fattened calf. He's, he's offended that his father would do this for him. He sees it as, you know, I've been here doing all this for you and now he comes home, he's squandered your wealth. He's, he's, he's lived this, this life that is embarrassing. And he says, and now you just welcome him home? And so he's offended by it. If you look at verses 1 and 2, who fits into that category? It's the Pharisees and teachers of the law. And Jesus is painting a really clear picture here. He's saying, look, to the religious people, he's saying, look, are you going to respond or continue to respond like the elder brother, the older brother, are you going to join in the celebration in heaven in welcoming the sinners home? That's what Jesus is basically saying. He's painting it very clearly. I want you to see that, yes, we can take away from this parable the fact that God welcomes home sinners. But Jesus, throughout the gospel, makes that abundantly clear. That if we come to our senses and turn to God in Christ, that he welcomes us home in the righteousness of Jesus. He makes that abundantly clear throughout the gospels. But Here's the thing for us to see, and, and, and it's true also that we have to ask ourselves, am I like the older son, not enjoying what God has given me? Am I just kind of going through the motions of church and religious life, not enjoying what God has given me? We need to ask ourselves that. That too is another takeaway. But I would challenge this, that the main point Jesus is making is he is asserting a challenge to the religious in saying, are you going to respond to the sinners who are coming home as the older brother and continue in this way and mindset? Are you going to realize that the reason that I'm here and the heart of God and the purpose of God has always been to bring the wayward home? And are you going to join in the celebration of what God is doing, what I am doing, not me, Jesus, are you going to join in that? And he's challenging them to have a mind change, that their minds would change, that they would see differently, that they could realize God's grand plan. Jesus is trying to show them, and this is good, y'all. Y'all need to hear this. Jesus is showing them the great expanse of God's love and grace. He's saying this is how powerful the love of God and the grace of God, God doing for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. This is how big it is that he brings home the wayward, those who are far. 
away. How are you going to respond? Here's the thing that's cool about this parable too. A lot of cool things. Both of the responses of the sons are left untold. Like we don't read where the the prodigal son, the younger son, comes back and because of the lavish love that God has poured on him, we don't read where it's, you know, he served him faithfully for the rest of his life. He lived in the joy and fullness of his father for the rest of his life. We don't read that. We also don't really know the response of the son. We can draw a conclusion, but it's not necessarily explicitly stated because the last words we read are where the father is still encouraging this knucklehead to celebrate. We don't know the response of the older son. We don't know what he did. We don't know if he was like, you're right, dad. We don't know. And I don't believe that's accidental. I don't believe that that's just something that that Jesus did. He was like, squirrel, and went on to something else. I don't think that happened. He did it, I believe, intentionally. Because what does it force us to do? I want you to hear this. It, It forces us to wrestle with our own response. It forces us to answer the question, what is my response to God's love and plan? Isn't that cool? Like that 2,000 years ago, Jesus is like, I'm gonna tell you this parable and it's gonna teach you and instruct you, but I'm gonna teach it in such a way that 2,000 years from now, that people sitting in Connection Church at the nine o'clock service, that they're gonna be um, faced with this challenge to ask the question, What do I do in response to God's love? You see, if we're going to respond accurately, then we have to see clearly. We have to see clearly. It's why God's word is so important. Have I said that lately? It's why God's truth is so important that we can see clearly according to how God sees. We can begin to think the way God thinks. Our minds are renewed to see. We come to our senses in God's truth. We no longer walk this way. Why? Because why would I? Why would I continue this path when, man, this is good. When I see clearly the love of God. And so here's the thing that's been on my heart. We're gonna have to do this fairly quickly. The first response we have to make is will I accept the love of God? Will I receive it? Can I receive that for myself? Can I receive it for myself? Am I living with my hand over the cup so that what God wants to pour into my heart and life, I'm not receiving because I just can't. And I want you to see this. We're going to go to the book of Romans. The book of Romans. For some of you, this will be elemental. Probably not for many of us, but for some. Because the first thing I want you to do is I want you to to see and receive fresh the love of God. Book of Romans. I want you to see, Paul, this, the book of Romans is so amazing because it is Paul laying out the gospel 
in such perfect fashion. You can read the book of Romans and you can see the love of God shown so clearly in the person of Christ. You can see God's plan so clearly in the person of Christ and in God's um, overall scope of work in the earth and what he wants for us, his purpose for us. The very first chapter, though, man, listen, you got to kind of get through the bad to get to the good. The very first chapter, basically, Paul is talking about people who their minds are so depraved, they've gone so far away from God. He's saying these people not only sin, but they also approve of it. Listen to verse 29. 32. He says, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. That's a dark picture. Although they know God's righteous decree, there's something written inside of them that those who do such things deserve death. Our consciences convict us. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And so he's looking at people in the world and he's going, listen, this is how far a lot of people have gotten. They not only practice these things, but they've gotten to this point where their hearts are so callous, they actually approve of those who do them. He goes on in chapter two and he begins to speak about this group that I would call these moralizers. They're basically people who, they don't approve of sin, yet they sin. I would say maybe the church has become more like moralizers than Christians. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. In other words, you're, you're judging people for their sin, but you're, doing, you're sinning too. So what right do you have to do this? Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think God, you will escape God's judgment? So in other words, he's saying, listen, you got to realize you look at these people who are doing all of this wicked stuff and you judge them. You know, you try to hold them to a high standard and say that they don't meet it. He said, but you got to realize you don't meet the standard either. And so he's talking to these moralizers. There's a second group of people. You go on in uh, Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Now, if you, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law, in other words, you rely on trying to make yourself right with God, based off of the rules and observing the rules, and you boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what, it, what, of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a God for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you teach yourself? In other words, he's now bringing the Jewish people, these people, the people of God selected in the Old Testament to be the people of God. He's saying, look, you have the law and you boast in the law and you try to make yourself right by the law. He said, but do you realize, do you not teach yourself because you don't live it either? He said, you don't uphold this perfectly. You don't get it right. Some of you do more than others, but You're not perfect in this. So what conclusion does Paul draw from this? Romans 3, verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage, speaking of the Jews? He says, not at all. And here's the conclusion for all of us. For we 
have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. So what's he doing in the first three chapters? He's throwing us all in this big mix and going, none of us are right. None of us are right with God. We've all sinned. We go on and read this. And so here's the darkness. And we can't appreciate the light if we don't see the darkness. He goes on in verse 21. But now, and see the whole book of Romans. If you want to write this at the beginning of the book of Romans in your Bible, make a note in your phone, whatever. The whole book of Romans is about the revealing of the righteousness of God. It reveals his righteousness, our unrighteousness, the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of Christ we obtain by faith. Sounds a lot like who is God? Who am I apart from Christ? What has God done in Christ and who have I become? It's all about revealing this righteousness of God and even his righteous plan. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. That's what he's doing in this book. To which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Listen, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. In other words, he went back, gathered up all the sin that was ever committed, the sin that was being committed, and the sin that would be committed. It all fell on Christ and his blood, the shed blood, the cross, the wrath of God on him, punished for us, paid the price for all of the sin. So he tells us this. He's saying, look, there's the good news, guys, is a righteousness, a way to be made right with God has been revealed. He goes on in Romans 4. He uses Abraham, the patriarch of the Jewish faith. He uses him to um, show that it's by faith, not by works, that we can't work ourselves to God in a right relationship with God. He goes on in 5, and he shows us. He says, now because of God and our faith in Christ and the work of Christ, he's saying the good news for us is this, that we were once enemies of God, but now we've been brought into this loving relationship with God. We've been made at peace with God. Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you go on down in verse 9, since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? Wrath. How are we saved from God's wrath? It was poured out on Christ. How are we not condemned by our sin? Christ was condemned for us. He says, for if while we were God's enemies, enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of, Christ, of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He's saying, listen, can you not see the love of God in this? That while you were his enemies, while his wrath should have just remained on you and you should have felt the brunt of it, he loved you so much that he made a way by sending his son to take that wrath and condemnation to make you at peace with him. We gotta clearly see this and understand it so we can receive it. 
Some of you right now, you feel like an enemy of God. And if you're not, your faith is not in Christ, then yes, you are an enemy of God. Some of us who have faith in Christ, we still sit here feeling like an enemy of God. We won't draw near to him because our conscience condemns us. And yet we know from God's word that if we're in Christ, there is no condemnation. We have to see this and receive this to draw near to him. Verse six, he goes, or chapter six, he goes on and shows us that because of what Christ has done, we now have a new master. We were taken from the master of sin and death. We've been given a new master in God that gives life. He's saying, don't obey the old master anymore. Obey the new. Seven is famous for the, the, the crazy language of Paul saying, I want to do this. I don't do that. I want to do that. What's he saying? He's saying, I can't live this righteous life myself. So what does he do? In the end, he says, who will save me from this wretched man that I am? How am I ever going to get out of this body of death and sin? How am I ever going to live a different life? He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He's taken me from death and brought me to life. He's taken me from bondage to sin and given me a new master, a new way to live. He's painting this awesome picture. And he says, listen, the way you're going to live out the righteousness of God is not through works and effort. The way you're going to do it is by drawing close to God and his spirit working in you and through you, doing for you what you cannot do on your own. He goes on in nine and he begins to to talk about dealing, how God deals with the Israelites. There is a verse in here, though, that I want to read. He tells us in, in in verse 9 and 10, that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. He goes on in 16 and says, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. In other words, they didn't accept the message. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And so what we need to see is that Paul has been laying all of this out and he brings us to this point where he says, listen, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. God will pour his spirit into you. God will give you a new life. You'll become subject to God, not subject to sin and death. He's saying all of this is true, but the way it happens is when you hear the message of the gospel that he's been laying out for us, you have a change of mind by hearing the word of truth. You repent. In other words, I changed my mind. I told you last week, the first change of mind is a change of mind about God and Christ. We come to a place where I see Jesus differently. I see what God offers me in Christ and I come to him. My my mind has been changed. What did I do? I repented. I turned and I came back to God. I turned away from this life of sin and death and I turned to God who gives life. I've repented, I've seen the goodness of God. He goes on in verse or chapter 12 and tells us the way of transformation is to renew our mind. We do this and are motivated by this because of the mercy we see in Christ. He lays this out so perfectly clear and it's so brief, but I hope in some way you can see and have clarity once again about who God is, about our sinful state, about what God has done in Christ and given a righteousness that is apart from the law and about how we've become in Christ now that we have been set free from the law of sin, this this law of sin and death that has held us in bondage. We've been set free from that. If we can begin to see that, 
then this great clarity comes. The Spirit fills my heart. And as he says in Romans 8, 15, the Spirit of God in me causes me to cry out, Abba, Father. He causes me to recognize his mercy and grace. And the Spirit opens the eyes of my understanding. And I see with fresh eyes the good news of the gospel. And the reasonable thing for me then is that I offer my life to God. Because why? I've seen the truth of who God is, who I am, what God's done, who I've become, my purpose in life. I see who I was. I see what Christ has done. I see who I am now in Christ. Praise God, I'm not him. I'm compelled by love to go and fulfill his purposes in this world and in my life, enjoying relationship with him forever. So the first thing we've got to decide on is will I accept and walk in the love of God. For some of us, we've never done this. For some of us, this is foreign to us. And right now, listen, I'm gonna stop and I'm not done, so don't pack up and leave. But right now, I'm gonna give you this opportunity. If the Spirit is opening your eyes this morning to what Jesus has done for us, and you recognize the love of the Father poured out on you, you've never received his love, you've never said yes to Christ, you've never in view of the mercy of God said, I wanna offer my life to him, I don't wanna live this way anymore, I wanna live this way, why? Because the Spirit through his truth has opened my eyes, and my mind has changed about the person of Christ and God, and I want a relationship with him. If you've never done that before, you've never said yes to a relationship with Christ, you've never said yes to peace with God, then today, right now, I'm gonna give you that opportunity just to take a step of faith and acknowledge what God's already done in your heart. If that's you today, then I want you right now just to stand to your feet and say, today, I am coming to Christ for the first time in faith, being made right with God. Salvation is coming to my life today. You've never done that before. Not playing church, not going through religious motions, do you know Christ? Has the love of God filled your heart? Has the Spirit of God entered your life, causing you, creating in you a desire to worship God and offer your life forever? If it hasn't, and yet God is speaking to you today, stand to your feet and let's celebrate like Luke 15, that one who was wayward has come home. takes a lot of courage to do that. That's awesome. A lot of courage to do that. That's incredible. Miss Vivian would love to pray with you if you don't mind, just allowing her to pray with you and help you take next steps of faith. We want to walk this out with you. The last thing I want to say, because I told you there's two responses. The last one the first one is, will I receive God's love? The second one is just as imperative, okay? So, so look here. It's not time to go yet. It's 10.15, but it's not time to go. It's not going to be as long. The second thing we have to ask ourselves that is just as imperative is, will we love those who offend us? My sin offended it is offensive to God and yet what did God do he loved me anyway will I love those will I allow God's love so fill me in my life that I love others the way he's loved me will I forgive the way Christ has 
forgiven me. We see where how offensive we are to God apart from Christ. We're enemies. So what's our response to God's love? Am I willing to extend that to others? Now that I see it clearly for myself, am I willing to offer it to others? I wanna share something with you. And in some ways I wanna bring correction to something. In other ways, I wanna share how God's brought correction to me. The last couple of weeks I've received some pretty, pretty nasty criticism. Um, it is what it is, guys. It's been happening for 10 years. I want to share with you, though, the morning that I first received this criticism, my blood was boiling. I got really upset. My nature, guys, is not to just go, oh, well. My nature is to throat punch something. That's who I am by nature. I'm not saying it's right, because it's not. But I know that that is my human nature. But the good news is I have a new nature inside of me through the Spirit of God. When I received this, I, I, I immediately could feel like this temptation to just get angry, just get mad. And right after that, I got a text. I'm talking about, guys, within minutes, I get a text from a friend of mine. And this is what the text says. And I couldn't see it in the moment. In fact, I couldn't see it until this morning when God finally opened my eyes to it. But I received this criticism. The text I get is this, lifting you in prayer today. I sense fully that God has an amazing plan. I also sense that he desires to fill you with 1 Corinthians 13, an agape love for his people. And John 13, 34, 35, by our love, they will know you are my disciples. And I'm sitting there in my office. I'm already on tilt. Y'all know what being on tilt is? Kind of like what they talk about in poker when they're just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. I'm kind of on tilt at this point. And I get this, and my human nature goes, are they saying I don't have that? I don't love people? And so I'm, now I'm wrestling with this. And now I look back, and how amazing is it that God is teaching me something in this? He's saying, look, your natural reaction is, God. But the Spirit's reaction is love. That's crazy. That's not me. I prayed through it next week, like <laughs> seven days later, happens again. Love, I prayed, love, love, love. It's not in me, guys, my human nature, but it's in me through the Spirit. And so I wanna make this statement today that one, there's a way we handle things in the church when we become mature. It's very clear in Matthew 18 that when someone offends us, we go to the person. We don't talk about it. We don't send emails, anonymous letters. We don't do those kind of things. We go to the person. Why? Because we love the person. It's real clear in there. The second thing I want you to know, and I mean this, and this is not me, 
to you, I love you. I cannot say that in my own strength, but I love you. And my heart for you is that the bitterness that has come into your heart through offense, that it can be let go and that this could be made right and that the body would be restored gently like the setting of a bone so they can heal and be made strong again. If that's not my response and our response, then how hypocritical are we to talk about growing to maturity, but to respond immaturely? My encouragement to you is, look, don't go, well, Brandon sure has Brandon anger, the spirit in me, look, has helped me in this. My encouragement to you is to draw close to God. If you have offense against someone in this body, in God's church, in the world, make that right. Make it right. It's too important, guys. It's too big. Receive the love of God and offer it to others. None of us are perfect. None of us have it all together. We're going to offend and we're going to have the temptation to be offended. But let the spirit of God, the love of God rule and reign in your hearts. As you walk that out, I'm gonna walk that out too. And I pray that we grow in it together. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your love and grace so much bigger than my offense, Lord. I thank you for the freedom that comes and letting those things go and trusting you and loving the way you've loved, forgiving the way you forgive. Father, I thank you for such a grand purpose that you've given us in Christ. You are so good, God, and we cannot fathom it. Today we acknowledge that in Jesus' name.